Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. So uh, I'm at home again, another day above ground, staring out my window, the same window. One of the things that I have noticed since I've been home since September is that at home, I have so much stuff. Like I just moved in 2017. So we kind of consolidated everything then, but then I've been home for a while and I we're just collecting stuff again, as you, as we do at our, at home, you know, I've got a two car garage, which has enough space for one car and a bunch of stuff. My honeydew list is full of ways to fix stuff and just objects around the house that I can't get rid of, including the the giant box full of old cables and adapters that I will never use again, but I can't throw away just in case I ever need those. And I'm starting to realize when I'm out on the road, I don't have nearly as much stuff. I don't have to take care of a bunch of junk. We have to be very, very streamlined. And when I'm at home, I'm, I feel like I'm bogged down and I feel like my stuff starts to own me. And that gets really frustrating. And I, and I, and I miss that terribly because on the road, I, I like being streamlined. And when I think about that, out on the road, I was with Holland Oat two years ago. And one of the most streamlined people you will ever come across is Jesper Luth. And today I thought it would be a really good, good day to talk to him about the importance of being streamlined and, and minimalism as a, as a whole, as a philosophy, because I, I can only imagine that's benefiting him greatly today. Hope you'll all enjoy uh, listening with me today and having a fun discussion with Jesper Luth. He is the production manager, lighting designer, and director. He is out of California today. Thank you so much for joining me, Jesper. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Uh, absolute pleasure. Long Good to no see TV. you. I always enjoy your smiling face. Likewise, man. It's been, so uh, Jesper it's been and I worked together on Hall and & Oates, and uh, we used to come out to the bus, and there would be people out there with a backpack, and uh, two different suitcases and maybe a Pelican, but Jesper would one backpack and on the bus, ready to go. And a carry on. How are you able to do that all the time? <laughs> well, I, I suppose I should backtrack a little bit as far as why, how I got to this point. I, about uh, two, maybe, well, I guess it's three years ago now. Um, we were living in San Francisco itself in an apartment and our place, we got hardwood floors installed and um, our place got overtaken by some kind of biting mite that just took over our lives. Um, my wife is really sensitive um, to such things and it put us to a point where we, we tried to fight it, but it was just absolute misery and we had to get out. We had no choice. And 
you know, it started basic first with like, okay, now the couch is infested. Let's get rid of the couch. Okay, now this is infested. Let's get rid of this. And slowly but surely, <laughs> there's less and less things left in the place. So when we went like, we just need to start over. So we basically left and got rid of every piece of equipment, every piece of furniture, every piece of clothing, anything. And the only thing that I had was my laptop, even a new backpack. Um, and uh, we ended up moving over to East Bay and started over again. I don't feel it, but like I said, my wife is really sensitive and she still feels it, but it's a, a thousand times better. But what that has done is it's put us into a place where we just, you know, routinely have to keep it simple and, and not have a lot of stuff because the more stuff, more mites build up and it means more things to clean. So coming from that direction, we realized, you know what? this is great. I'm loving this. And it also got to the point where I would get, get on the road. Um, you know, since I got rid of all my clothes, I start over again with just, you know, bought 10 t-shirts, 10 pairs of underwear, some socks, some shorts, a couple of pairs of jeans, and that's that. And it all fits in a carry-on suitcase. And really there's so many decisions that I would have to make and what do I need to take? How do I pack it? Where do I fit it? All this other stuff. Now my life is so streamlined in the sense, like, you know, getting on a plane, going to the airport, it's it's non non-thinking it's literally this is what i got i carry it on i get off the plane i don't wait my baggage claim and i just go and it's really refreshing i don't have to think about where all my stuff is <laughs> you know what i mean that sounds liberating to me yeah absolutely it's liberating i have so many things that the sentimental value bogs me down and i can't i've tried i, I can't get rid of it but if there was a, a better there was a reason like, oh, well, that thing's infested with something. You have yeah. to get rid of it. I would. I absolutely would. But I can't because I don't have that, that, that reason. Well, exactly. You don't have that reason. And obviously, you know, th there were certain things that I could probably have, have gone like, okay, I could probably keep this. But it just got to the point where I knew that as soon as I started this mentality of like, okay, I just got to keep this. But then I could probably keep that. And then I could probably keep that too. And before you know it, you know, you're not your whole purpose is, to, is defeated in that sense. So I, I just took it from that point and went, you know what, we're going all in. Um, and it was hard in the beginning. I mean, because you have to look back and go, oh, that memory, that that piece of, hell, even laminates, you know what I mean? There's certain things that I look back on and went, that brought me back to that time. But what it taught me is, is you know, my life is fine without it and I can still have that memory. I, I, I don't need it, you know? And what we did was we digitized everything. So, you know, all my laminates, all my photos, all those things that were physical aspects, it got scanned. So it's sitting on the cloud. Obviously I got multiple backups of it in other places. I got a few hard drives that, um, that I keep that on, but no, it's, it's there when I need it, you know? That is really cool. It's so much easier to carry a few hard drives than it is to carry an entire suitcase full of laminates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, like we, we lived in San Francisco, the neighbor upstairs. I mean, he, he wasn't necessarily a hoarder, but, you know, there was just stuff everywhere. And all, all I do now is I walk into people's places like that. And I think like, God, if ever the day comes when it's time to move, Oh my freaking God, man, you know, how long is that going to take to go through all of that stuff and to have to think about it and then forget the truck and then pack and you get to the next place. Okay. Now I got to figure out a place where to put this stuff and I put that stuff and it's, it's just most of the stuff, 99% of the stuff you don't need, you know?
one of the best things that my wife and I ever did was allow my kids to watch the TV show Hoarders. <laughs> it was almost immediate where my daughter kind of looked. She watched the show and then went up to her room. She's like, oh, my God, I have too much stuff, too. Really? And it's been about a year since we did that. And now it's getting back to that time where we got to got her to watch. We got to we got to go watch it for a refresher. Right. Because, you know. You know, birthdays come along, Christmas comes along, and people just love giving other people stuff, just yeah. more stuff. And it sometimes you can tell that they're thinking about you, and sometimes you can tell they're thinking about themselves, and they're like, oh, this is something that I think that somebody else should have because I like it. You're like, no, you didn't really think about me at all there. You just no, bought no. that for to, just action. to buy stuff. It's that emotional attachment to buying something to giving you that feeling of, you know, mm -hmm. of joy that you think is going to be joy and how long is it really going to last? You know, you buy that new computer, you buy that new car, whatever. It's fun for a little while until slowly that emotional attachment starts to fade, you know, then you go, yeah. Hey, what's the next thing, what, what else am I going to get now? Because this isn't making me happy anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. For me, it's a perfect storm around my house. Cause my kids, I've got twins. Their birthday is December 19th. And then Christmas is a week later. So two kids, they both have their birthday on the same day. They both get their presents and then they don't even have time to play with all of their presents before Christmas comes and they get a whole nother pile of stuff. Yep. And, and we try, man, we really try, but it's this fine line between, you know, they're kids, they love getting stuff and yeah. they, they have all these ideas and their eyes get all big and you, there's a certain amount of joy from giving them some stuff. Yep. But at the same time, you, like, are they actually enjoying any of that stuff? Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think about Christmas when I was a kid and, you know, how excited I was to, to get those Christmas presents and opening them up and playing with those toys. I mean, I, I definitely get that. I don't know what my life would be like if I had parents that, you know, are thinking along the same lines of, of my ideas in that sense of how would I, how would I react? I, I don't know. Would I, would I be, you know, depressed because all these other kids are getting stuff and I'm not? Man, I think it's all relative. I think that if, if your parents are able to give you the one thing or one or two things that you actually wanted or actually asked for, I think it would be a huge difference as opposed to yeah. 10 things that maybe you did, maybe you didn't want. Yeah, absolutely right. Because next thing you know, you know, not only do my kids have all this stuff now, you know, even at nine years old, they don't have the mental capacity to, to care for all that stuff. So next thing now, not only did I buy it, now I have to maintain it, and <laughs> store it, <laughs> or, or go and find it. Exactly, it's the perfect yeah. storm. Now I have to buy a, a shelving system yeah. to store all the stuff. Yeah. And then once the shelving system, then you got to fill shelving system with more stuff. And well, you know, it's funny. I, I was also on another note that I was thinking, it made me think of um, when uh, we were getting rid of all our stuff, you know, we're taking the goodwill and all these other places. It, I was talking to the guy and it's mind blowing how much stuff that they're getting. He says, you know, there's times they get stuff that's still not even been opened. Just, you know, whether it's been a gift that's been given to somebody or whatever, they just, they go and donate into Goodwill, you know, I mean, and I see, this is in San Francisco, so obviously, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there was a lot of wealth in, in the sense of, you know, in, in that sense, so all these people just bringing stuff down, and the, there were trailers filled, tractor trailers filled with stuff, 
and crap. And then there's a place if you take furniture on the other side. And I mean, it was insane how much stuff was just thrown there. And some of that stuff looked really good, you know, but just there's no, attack, you know, there's, there's no sort of like meaning to it. It's just like, oh, it's stuff. Okay, I'm done with it. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to give it away, you know. It's tough to see that. You know, that we're all kind of in that system to just generate stuff that yeah. we love for a few days. And then it's just disposable yeah. junk. Yeah. Yeah. This will give me a, a minute of joy and happiness. You know what I mean? And oh, now I'm fulfilled. Oh, this is great. No, I'm not. What do I need? I need something else. You know? Yep. yep. How much plastic can I put into my into my living quarters to finally <laughs> fill my my soul? Right. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So, so we we had that discussion so that we could get and kind of get into where how that applies to lighting, and. One of the things I've always enjoyed working with Jesper is that I will be sitting out at front of house and I'll be listening to a song and I will start trying to put little accents here and there and everywhere that I think things happen. And I remember quite a few times Jesper would kind of come out at front of house and be like, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, I think that deserves something. He's like, nah, you don't need, you don't need stuff there. I'm like, well, <laughs> But I mean, there's there's a thing. He's like, mm, you don't have to hit everything. You got to hit the, the the most important things and make sure you do them right. And that always stuck with me that I would I would sit out at the console and I, after like 30 minutes, I would have to sit back and reflect on did, I, did the last 30 minutes was it did I make things better or worse? And Jesper was always really good at coming out every once and say, did you did you make things better or did you make things worse? And so. <laughs> where did that come from is, is that just in, in that is that just a, a unique quality about you or did you have to develop that um i i would say that i i guess i take it back to theater um i started in theater and you know in, in theater you, you are forced in many ways to to do a three-act play with a limited amount of licos pernels and parkans and you know maybe this this stage play has three different uh places locales indoor at night outdoor in a forest you know uh who knows but you are you're challenged in how can you make it effective um with, with what you've got and i think with that it brings brings me to a point where i feel like okay what can i use multi-purpose wise for fixtures how can i make it simple and i think that's where the foundation is is to to not just throw a shit ton of fixtures at the big picture and go big and flash and flash and flash, you know, let's find those dramatic moments. Let's find those places where there's something you can really do that's effective. That makes it a, a really beautiful place. And um, so by, by taking that, I, I think it brings me to a point of realizing that if I just keep flashing, flashing big, big, big on everything and every moment, that takes away from those really special moments in the songs. And mm -hmm. especially if we're dealing with simplistic things and, you know, like I'm sure we'll get into the whole idea of what's to come in the future with, with, with post COVID as far as, you know, budgets and what you're able to do. So I think it really reflects that. How do you manipulate a rig to make something look bigger than it is, but also you know, be effective and dramatic in, in that sense. So, so yeah, I, I think that's a key element. How, how do you achieve that? And, you know, I'm a big believer in 
when, when you're programming and you're, you know, you're trying to find that good look and you're designing a, a big look and it's like, it's just not working. It's just not working. What we tend to do is we add stuff, add stuff, but I'm a big believer in, okay, let's start taking stuff away or even hitting that clear button completely and go, okay, let's try this again, <laughs> you know, and, and getting to, getting to that point, you know? Yeah. In this consumerist society, this expendable culture, what we've done is we just keep adding more things. And we, I mean, yeah. it's not uncommon to throw another 50 fixtures at a look to make it feel like it's bigger. Yeah. When mm. all it takes is a, a, a discerning eye to come back and like, why did you do that? Why yeah. did you add those 50 fixtures? Did you, did, did you need that? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you think about like like a song, you know, when, when you hear a song and it's just this big build and crescendo and everything is happening and how dramatic is it when it just completely stops, whether it's to a single note or just stop for a brief second and the song restores, how powerful is that? And I feel that in lighting is the same thing. I mean, you have a big look and it's just completely overemphasizing everything that's happening in that song. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's just a single spot or maybe a downlight or a backlight or something like that. And what does that do to, to, to the song or to, you know, to the look? I think a lot of this has been motivated by our cell phones. A lot right. of people are just looking into their screen, waiting for something to happen. Yeah. But when you put the cell phone down and look with your eyes at a beautiful look and you can see all the shadows and all the, the, the sculpting that has gone into that look. Yeah. It, it affects your eyes and your, in your atmosphere and everybody around you in a, in a similar way. Whereas if, you know, when it's just one light on a, on a screen, it, it doesn't have the same impact because you're not, right. you know, cause we're not, uh, we're not all cutting it from a truck somewhere else, but you know, sitting out in the, out in the arena, watching the whole production through your phone, you're, you're just putting that much distance between yourself and the, the imagery. Right. So, so, so I suppose, what does that mean uh, if you're doing that and you're looking through that phone and us creating all these massive rigs, what is that actually doing in, in the sense of, you know, it's making a difference to the person looking through that phone, whether they have a big mega rig or not up there. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if that's, if we're, are we making things better or worse? I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. So beyond theater, how were you able to carry that into into rock and roll? Has that been something that's kind of stuck with you throughout, it, it the, has, throughout well, your career? Well, I think a, a big part of it is that, you know, uh, many a times I've been on tours where I didn't have a lot of uh, budget for a big production. So I was forced into trying to, to make something look big with what we had, you know. I, I remember the first tour that I ever did was, was Billy Ray Cyrus. We did a rig... This was in 1995, and this was after his big arena, you know, mega power rig and stuff like that. So we ended up doing a rig that was just all moving lights back then, and that was just uh, Cyberlight, I think, had just come out. And it was a rig of Cyberlights, IntelliBeams, and TrackSpots. Nice. And I, and I had a status quo console, man. I loved that desk. I, I know it was panned in many ways, and it crashed every five minutes, but... It was such a fun console to program, but that, uh, that, that rig was a good challenge because it did teach me. I mean, it wasn't like there's a shit ton of pictures, but it taught me how to manipulate 
the amount of fixtures that were available to to create independent looks and how to utilize only specific fixtures for that song as opposed to all the lights all the time, which I think is is a, a really big thing. I always think my biggest influence probably was Peter Gabriel So Too when I was in high school. I remember walking into arena in Connecticut and going like, doesn't seem like there's anything here. And that rig just came to life and it was all about distribution of light. You know, what angle was it coming from and how was it done? And it was, as far as I can recall, it was an all moving light rig, you know, but it was, it was really, really simple and effective. I mean, to the point where I remember Peter Gabriel rolling on the stage and it was literally just a couple of lights on a big arm that looked like it was following him around. You know, there was nothing else on. And that just really had a huge impact on me as, as far as simplicity, you know. Um, so I, I went from that point and then, you know, I've been with opening acts and I'm good with opening acts. You know, you are limited in how many fixtures you're given. And now you have to try to manipulate what's available to you, again, to make it dramatic. And I think it also comes back to that thing you're saying, like, you know, as far as you don't have to hit on every single note. I, I think it comes into that aspect of find that moment. You know, find, find, find that emotional moment where you feel like that song could really use something that's going to be impactful as opposed to, you know, flash, 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 strobe, 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 flash, flash, you know. I'm also a concert goer. I love going to shows, and I, I can tell when somebody's trying to overdo it and you, you become mm. numb to it after a while. Yeah. You're just like, dude, you don't have to hit every downbeat. Just like, yes, there's a downbeat there. You don't have to hit them. You I'm your, your eyes and your, your retinas just become numb to it eventually. Yeah, that's it. I remember we went to, um, as punters, went to a Kaboo Festival a few years ago, and um, which is something, by the way, I, I really enjoyed. We just literally went, we, I think I talked to maybe two people in front of the house that I knew, but didn't go backstage, didn't connect with anybody. We just went for the show experience. And I tell you, I, I really recommend that because it was almost like it, it's like you, you forget sometimes when you work behind the scenes why there's punters there. You know, you get lost in that moment of like, you know, those punters are just a freaking annoyance and, you know, get a hell out of my way. So it really was a nice experience to just be out there with the crowd and experience the music for the music. But I remember there was one show and it was massive production. It was on the headline stage and it was every cue was so clean and something was happening at every beat and every note and everything else. Like you said, you become numb to it. You know, you lose the, mm -hmm. the sense of where is this song going to go? Because it's just always something going on. You know, it's just in your face the whole time. And I also felt that I think you and I have talked a little bit about that as well. It's like, you know, and I know it's, it's part of the, the world now. It's the time code you know, and it just loses that life. I thought in many ways that, you know, literally there was a little keyboard pit that went beep, 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 kind of thing. And the lights went beep, 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 like literally so freaking perfect that it lost that edge, you know. If you had been doing a lot of opening bands, did you have a, your own pretty solid punt page? Were you Absolutely. able to, are you, are you pretty good at still doing shows on the fly? I love punt pages. To me, that is like the, there's a certain science there, you know, on how you lay out a pun page and not getting yourself into, because, you know, you can set up that pun page where like, for example, for me, you know, I've got my intensity faders, I've got a 
the the flash buttons of the colors. I've got my you know my my strobe, my intensities, a couple of chases I can control the rate with, and so forth. And then I've got color combinations that I can go to. Um, I'm basing this on an MA, you know, and, and it's just really set up well for that. And one thing that I've learned over the years is to not get yourself so entangled that there's so much crap going on that, you know, all of a sudden you get lost in it. You know, obviously you create yourself release keys that unlocks everything, you know, and brings you back to whether it's a blue look or a static look or something like that. But, you know, you're in the middle of a song how hard is it to when you all of a sudden got all these effects going and you know that there's a, a point coming up where there's a completely different change and you're thinking like, which freaking buttons do I need to hit right now to completely <laughs> get myself out of this, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I think pump pages play a really big deal and I don't know how many people really have a good pump page. I don't know. I'm I'm fairly judgmental. I've seen that a few times where a, a band will come to a halting stop and you'll just see the guy out front of house just throwing <laughs> switches and pulling faders and you're like, oh God, I don't know what I, what's happening. He's like, oh man, you were not, you're not yep. ready. You're not ready. But I think that comes back to that whole ideology about, you know, not getting so complicated. And I think that takes practice. And like you said, I think, you know, I think you're definitely simplifying in life and also in design, I think is, is, is a, there's a big connection there. You're right. In, in the sense mm -hmm. of keeping it simple and knowing, and how do you do that? You know, you find yourself in a place of, I guess, this is a sort of a presence of just, you know, I I'm taking this slowly and I'm not getting caught into the excitement of all of this and just, you know, focusing and almost like a meditation, you know, one of the things I enjoyed is when you were my PM and I was the LD, you would, uh, you could come out and even though the stack was playing and I was doing the things, you know, the getting the course verse, you would sit come over like, Hey, can you, you can hear that, right? You need to listen for this part that I'm getting. And then, and you still gave me the freedom to have the buttons on the left-hand side of the, of the console to still, still explore and still kind of, get the vibe going you i think that's why you and i don't default to toad is because you know sometimes there's certain nights that you know you got to feel the vibe and feel where people are going and sometimes people aren't feeling it the same right exactly and sometimes yeah. it, like you said i mean there's there's certain points in the song and i suppose it also depends on the artist doesn't it i mean you know if you have a <laughs> yes, if you have a band <laughs> that just hits play and then, you know, off they go, we play along. That's certainly one thing, but you know, that there are still bands out there that, that find highlights and plays things differently on a nightly basis. And that's why we do what we do, isn't it? I mean, that joy of being, it is an artistic endeavor in a way, you know, we are an additional musician sometimes as far as, you know, going along with what the song is doing. Along those lines, I think post pandemic, uh, side note, I, I really look forward to hearing that term more and more often, the post-pandemic oh, term. But I think that's going to be a key part of our industry is being able to make more and more impactful looks with less fixtures because the the margins or the profit margins are going to be razor thin for the next two or three years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's a, you know, guarantees aren't going to be what they were for, for all these bands and, and um you know, as far as taking the budget where it can go and where do you make the cuts, you know, um, some acts that, you know, video is important for the show, other acts, you know, it's, 
it's audio and sound and where do you try to find the balance where you know to make those cuts cutting uh cuts cutting things and um I think the challenge is going to be for a while. I, I'm curious to see how many acts will go local production and others will carry, or will it be a mixture of sort of like a floor package? Like, you know, a lot of bands have done for a long time. Where, where is that balance going to be? And, and I feel like, you know, you're going to be challenged with local co companies as well going like, Hey, this is what I have. You know, we can sub rent this, but, but if you really want this gear, it's going to cost. And I don't know whether, you know, management is going to be digging that as far as the uh, as far as the cost you know so yeah and i think it is important to to find find that balance and to be able to be balanced in going hey today we got this kind of fixture and we've got this many how can i how can i utilize them and how can i make it work and then you get the question am i going to make that a pump page or am i going to try to do a bunch of creative cloning to to maintain my queue list you know you and I both know that uh, we're not going to be able to do, to describe to our clients or explain to our clients why they don't have a show. They're they are not going to understand that we don't have the same amount of fixtures this time. Yeah. We 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 still have made the same impact on uh, on on a fraction of the of the budget now. And what's that going to do on, on the end of it too? So let's say like in two to three years, things start to come back, right? You know, are the accountants going to go, well, you made this production work before, right? Oh, man. That is the double-edged sword, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The client's happy with that sort of budget. Let's just roll with it. You're like, yeah. oh, man, the that is not. Money, that's... You know, this COVID could happen again. So, you know, we should be prepared. No, that was the discounted price. You got the discounted product there. This is, you know, that was the teaser yeah. just to make sure that, that we all keep working here. That was, that was a favor. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That one's going to be a tough one to get through, but I think yeah. it's a, it's a very real situation that we're all going to end up in very soon. Right. Exactly. But I think again, you know, now that comes back to the, the element of, maybe is this an egoic thing of sort of like, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have, as opposed to just going, this is what I have. And I'm going to try to do the best I can with what I have. And I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. You know? I think we're all going to have to revisit what we need and what we want dichotomy of needs versus wants there. <laughs> exactly. You, know, right. uh, you and I, some of the artists we've worked with, they have some really big wants. Yeah. Uh, when you when you go down to it, all they really need is some house lights, and, and, they're, <laughs> and then they're happy. <laughs> exactly. Give me some strobes, man. <laughs> yeah. Let's cut out all the strobes and let's uh, let's double the amount of house lights, and yeah. everybody will be happy. Yeah. 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 Oh boy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, I I think it is a good challenge, and I, I really enjoy. Like I said, it comes back to the whole streamlining thing of, of of how many fixtures do you really need, and how when you start to design that way, in, instead of laying out multiple trusses with multiple multiple fixtures, you know, you start to think about how am I going to lay this out that that is going to be impactful. You know, I I think it changes mm -hmm. the the way that you design a show. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So one of the things that you've been doing while you're at home with uh, with no with no clutter, you've been working on the Historical Society of Concert Touring. Fill me in on how that how that came to be a thing. 
Well, so Dizzy Gosnell, Rob Kern, and I were having dinner last year, and uh, we were sort of, you know, we always start talking about the old days as far as like in the way we did things and, and, and so forth. And I started to realize that there really isn't much out there in, in the sense of, uh, of, of history. Um, you know, I mean, we all have our stories and so forth, but as far as one place that I can see that's, that's uniting everything, it doesn't seem to be in, in much existence, you know? I mean, there's Facebook pages and so forth, and there's groups, and um, there's a few sites out there, but I just don't feel like there's anything that really reflects that. And my aim is, is it's basically two tiers in the sense of first starting by making an online resource where anyone can... Um, put their stuff in, you know, whether it's an interview they've done with somebody from the past, um, whether it's an article about like Mike Callahan's written some articles about trussing and the, and the six mm -hmm. lamp bars, um, you know, um, Faye McMahon talked about the hysteria tour uh, with Def Leppard. Um, so, you know, there's a few aspects out there now, but I, my aim is to try to get to a point where it's more of a place where we can really go to and get, get an idea of what it was like back then, because it obviously all the things that we have today was influenced by people freaking going like, I don't know how the hell we're going to do this, but we're going to figure it out. And, you know, it might be a little rough around the edges, you know, but we'll get it. We're going to have a show and we're going to create some cool effects. We're going to you know, and just trying to explain what it was like touring back then, because, you know, there wasn't just the, you know, multiple tour buses and 60 semis. It was, you know, and, and no stage hands. It was literally the guys drove the truck and everyone helped each other out and they put on a show and, you know, very little sleep, modern day cowboys. So, mm -hmm. you know, my, my aim is at this point to try to get that information into the site and obviously hoping that many, as many people as possible can be a part of this, um, um, in the future, it would be great to have it be a, a place where maybe a physical institution, you know, like a rock and roll history museum kind of thing, you know, and that just shows what it was like. I was inspired by Silicon Valley Museum, um, the computer museum, and the way that they did it there, because you can literally see all the, the growth of the different kinds of computers and information about the people behind it and how they got there and really explains it well. And I feel like you know, we're losing a lot of the people who are at the forefront of this, you know, um, you know, some of these guys are now in their seventies and eighties and mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be another generation not far behind that that's going to hang up their laminates. So I feel like this is the time that we really need to move on this. Yeah. We all fall into this trap that we, we don't realize that we're in the good old days. Yeah. So we don't stop to archive what we're doing right. because we're just, we're busy working. Yeah. And it doesn't have a meaning. And it just gets lost. Yeah. I mean, how many times have you done, you know, a historic gig or an amazing place and you stood there and you went like, okay, you might post about it on Facebook, or whatever, say, Hey, look where I'm standing. But you know, the, the real direction of to, you know, holy shit, this is a historic time. You don't think about it because it obviously really isn't a historic time until you look back on it. But there, there's that moment that we forget that, you know, this is an, an incredible experience that we've just gone through. Lately, since I've become kind of a voice for the industry, I get a lot of questions trying to get confirmation on who was the first to do X. Yeah. What was the first tour that had Y? Um, yeah. When was blank invented? And it's tough to really pinpoint it because, you know, one people, one group of people will say like, well, we were the first ones to 
use uh, aircraft landing lights. And another people were like, well, we were the first ones. We had square park hands and we were the first ones to take it out. But I mean, there's really no way to cross check some of those claims because they're, they're just so fantastical. Like I, I don't know. There was, there's no photography available of it. All there is is hearsay and conjecture. Right. This might be the first time that we have time to sit down and kind of have that discussion and figure it out. Right. Exactly. And, and hopefully, you know, even after uh, the term post-COVID again, you know, hopefully after that period that we still maintain that and we don't lose sight of it, you know, because our, our industry, I mean, you think about what they were doing in, you know, in the early, early days. It, it's in incredible. Pink Floyd. I mean, the things that they were doing were just insane. And I would really love to, to get to a point where we have a, a source where we can go and really get an idea where all this came from and how it was done, you know? To just kind of go back and look at some of the old tour photos yeah. and then cross-reference them and say, no, this happened at this time. This yeah. happened this time. Should some, should somebody come along and try to do an archival process of our industry and maybe even do a, a report or a documentary on yeah. how far we've come? Cause it's pretty interesting. It is amazing. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, outside of our industry, I think that there's, uh, you know, we people need to understand what it was like and, you know, learn about it. Because I, I think it's one of those things where people probably go, I didn't know that was interesting, but wow, it really is interesting. I didn't even know it was a thing, but now it makes sense. I mean, how many times, well, this whole situation with what we're going through right now, you know, with funding and, you know, with all the people out of work, no one understands really what goes on behind the scenes and how deep that goes all of the attempts from somebody outside of our industry to portray what happens in our yeah. industry have failed miserably. Huge. <laughs> They're really not an accurate portrayal. No, no. What was that show roadies? Yeah, that was not an oh. accurate portrayal. Yeah. You know, Lindsay Buckingham is not coming back and doing private shows in the dressing room for the, for the road crew. It's just not happening. <laughs> exactly you know he's a wonderful human being but and he, he he does he does his things but he is not coming back just to play big love for the crew right. uh because out of the goodness of his heart I, that's right exactly um, I, I can verify that <laughs> uh, yeah i bet you can absolutely yeah i can verify that if anybody sees a, a rigger skateboarding through the rig as the rig is going up yeah. That rigor's not going to be around the next day. No, no. Or, or, or the group the group circle in, in the morning where everybody holds hands and talks. Yeah, no, no. I don't know. No. no, I love everybody on my crew. I'm not waking them up one second earlier <laughs> than they need to be to come to, to prayer circle. What was the other one? The LD that decided that she wanted to quit, you know, and uh, she just decided to tell them just, you know, the night of the show. By the way, I'm leaving. What was the oh, and they, they changed the set list to keep yeah. her there. They're like, yeah. oh, no, please yeah. don't yeah. leave. <laughs> we changed the set list to accommodate your, your feelings. Yeah, that's uh, we need. So we need some more reality. We need a place where people can go and, and actually look at some hard data on right. who invented trust. When did trust become square? When did we start using motors upside down? Uh, when did we decide that we could build the truss on one side of the arena and then lift the lighting and yeah. then slide the truss under or slide the stage under. We, these are all things that were invented at some time and we don't really know when. 
And not only that, but the people, the colorful personalities, you know, that we've had in the past, you know what I mean? Jonathan Smeaton, prime example, you know, an amazing mm -hmm. what he did. Talk about simplistic, you know, the designs he did that could fit in a freaking duffel bag, you know, that looked massive. So there's I, so many things that we just take for granted these days that yeah. had to be invented because they didn't exist before. I mean, all the way down to even just footlights and then who made, who decided that footlights could be led, who decided yeah. that a psych uplight is the coolest thing ever. Right. How did right. we, how did we discover all that? That's right. And it just comes from doing and doing and doing, you know, and just, but, but I feel like we, we need to, to start to get that together. And, you know, I, I really want to try to do it in the sense of, you know, it's at .org for a reason. I want it to be a community. I want it to be a, quote, a society where, you know, we can all start to add this information and, and create a place. Obviously the stuff will be vetted. It's not like it's going to be like anybody can post anything, you know what I mean? It, it's obviously within a reason we want to keep it, you know, family oriented in many ways, but also not, it's not about the, you know, we had a dozen beers and then heroin in the back lounge, you know what I mean? It's not, it is not about that, you know, it, 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 it's about the freaking production. So it's not not about that either like yeah, i would like right. to know who the who was right. doing heroin when but yeah yeah but, but you know what i mean i mean of course the idea of smelling you know that the wake-up call was the riggers in the back lounge smoking weed you know what i mean that that kind of thing we we don't necessarily mm -hmm. need to tell those tales we know that that's what happened but i feel mm -hmm. setting the circumstances of what it was like to do a load-in and what it was like to you know carry a full rig the first time and how those load-ins worked and you know and the pa the you know audio wise the transition of you know to to line arrays and digital consoles and how things were done before that i think there's so much valuable information there and you know who are the ones behind that so if somebody goes to the website historical society for concert touring.org yep. or you can how can they letters as well and that will take you there as well Oh, is it also uh, H-S-F-C-T? Yep, .org. Okay, .org. If they wanted to go and they wanted to contribute, what can they, what can they do? Um, there's, there's a couple ways. Um, you can basically, there's a form which has some template questionnaires, which uh, there's a couple up there, up there now. Uh, Martin Brennan um, did one and um, Robbie McGrath did one too, as far as uh, filling in that question. It's template questions. But it sort of gets you an idea, sort of like, you know, how'd you get started? What were some of the challenges? Um, you know, what's a couple of fun stories? That kind of thing. What kind of equipment did you have to make your life easier? So you can download that and then fill it in and email it in. There's a form that you can do as well. So there's even just a basic contact form. Um, there's a guy named Ben who's been doing some great interviews. Um, so, we're, you know, he's been interviewing some people. He interviewed David Davidian and Faye McMahon. Or if you want somebody who wants to do interviews, you can do that as well. Or if you enjoy writing, you know, and you feel like there's somebody that you want to incorporate and bring up to, into light, you know, you can uh, interview them yourself and, and send that on. Or you can write an article about them. Or if it's technology or gear um, that intrigues you, you know, like Mike Callahan did, you know, talking about old park hands and trusses, you know, that's the kind of direction we want to go. And it's pretty easy on the website. Like I said, you know, you can, there's a link that says submit content or there's a contact link as well that, that will take you there. And um, yeah, it, it's pretty straightforward, I would say. And, you know, there's articles on there as well um, at this point that you can read as far as uh, getting an idea. And the other thing too is one of the aims I would like to try to do is get to a point where, you know, do like a two or three way Skype or Zoom with somebody and um, 
just because what happens is what you're having these discussions, you know, you start getting more and more information, you know, you start remembering more stuff and that creates that, that flow, that flow of consciousness as far as what it was like back then. And that brings you deeper and deeper into, into the experiences and thoughts of what it was like back then, you know? Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. I love, that's part of one of the things I love about this podcast is just being able to log people's voices and their yeah. unique philosophies. And, and that, that extends to you as well. It, uh, it makes a big difference to just have the in-person, that voice recognition to, right. to, to, to be digitized and exist in, on the internet forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I really look forward to seeing where this become, where this uh, comes to full fruition. You and me both, man. And, you know, I ask everyone to spread the word and um, get it out there. Right on. Well, I will definitely leave a link in the website or on the description to historical society for concert touring.org. Awesome. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I'm sure that uh, you've got uh, some meditating that. to be doing today and uh, some <laughs> relaxing to find, some relaxation go to find. An, go for another hike, another walk, one of the many, right? Uh, so many hikes, so many walks yep. to be done today. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Jesper. I really appreciate right. it. I enjoy it, Chris. 